Why don't you get your Bible and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and Genesis chapter 3. 2 Corinthians 11 and Genesis 3. And we started a series a few weeks ago called Fixated. And, and what I have been talking about and what we have been talking about, and by the way, thank you for the feedback on the messages. I, I love to hear when, you know, as, you know, if you cook something, you like for somebody to say, man, that's good. Or at least a, hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, and you know, if you're not, you don't have to talk back to me in service, but it's so wonderful sometimes to hear, hey, pastor, this series is helping me, or hey, this is really, this meant a lot to me. And it just lets me know the Holy Spirit's working, and I like that. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, so I've heard from people, and I'm like, so we're in this series fixated. And uh, really what we're talking about is Paul has this concern <clears throat> for the Corinthians um, because there's all these, like, fractions and divisions of the church from all these different veins of teaching and, and influence and people kind of saying different things. And Paul is trying to make an adjustment. And so there's a process that happens where he writes a letter, it's lost. We talk about that. And then he writes 1 Corinthians, sends Timothy. Then he has a painful visit. You know, and there's a lot goes on. And then we get to 2 Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians, most of the church returns back to, to good doctrine and right teaching but there's still part of it that they've been watching YouTube to get their doctrine or following somebody on Instagram. And, uh, you know, I just, obviously not that they didn't have YouTube and, and Instagram in the days of, you know, first century church. But I'm just making a point that I don't know that YouTube is a great place to get your doctrine. And I'd like to just say something and since I have the microphone, I can. Um, and that is, you know, Paul's expressing this concern and he's saying, hey, I'm afraid you're, you're, you're losing your, your focus and I'm afraid you're losing um, your devotion to God because you've been all the stuff you're taking in. Listen, if you consume more of Instagram than God's word, your discouragement is self-inflicted. That went over well. And so I'm trying over here. I heard it said recently that if you consume more information from the media, whether it's social media or fictitious media like the news networks, if you consume more of that than the Word of God, then you're discouraged, there's discouragement self-inflicted. Um, you are not going to help me today, are you? Like, it's like it's Mother's Day and you're being mean. But I'm trying to help, though. I'm trying to help. Um, and, but anyways, I, I just want to make the point. Let me, I'll make this point and I'll move on. That um, there's great resources out there, thank God. But I'm concerned, like Paul, that, that two things. Number one, people are consuming more information about doctrine and theology from people who are not trained in it. Um, but they have an opinion. And, and people are consuming that social media and those YouTube. They're going to the YouTube to learn, you know, and there's good stuff on there, but you got to be able to tell the difference, right? And sometimes it's hard to tell the difference because I've watched videos where I'm like, man, this person's really smart, very educated, made a great argument. It's completely wrong. And I know that because I know, here's what I know. Um, so I just want to remind you that, that anybody can have a YouTube channel or an Instagram account that doesn't make them right or an expert, and, and it doesn't make them someone, just because you follow them doesn't mean you should follow them. Right? The other thing I want you to understand is the enemy is still the enemy. And when Paul's talking about this concern that he has, and we're going to read it just here in a second, that the enemy's still doing what he does. And that is the enemy's trying to get us distracted. And the enemy's trying to get our focus off of Jesus. And the enemy's trying to divide our devotions. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but this battle that we're talking about as far as staying focused on Jesus and keeping our devotion pure towards Jesus is a battle I've been fighting ever since I came to faith in Christ. And it's a battle you're going to fight for the rest of your life because this is what the enemy does. That's why I'm doing the series. The enemy's still doing what he did in Genesis chapter 3. And he's still doing it because it still works. And he is trying, and listen, he will, get, he will get you fixated on good things. They're just not God things, right? 
And, and as a pastor, can I just share a concern? Because you can ask any of the pastors here. This is something we watch every year. We've watched it every year as long as we've been pastors. And that is people many times are like the tide of the ocean. They come in and then they go out. And then they come in and then they go out. And what I mean by that is they come in and God's working in their life and they are, they are invigorated in their faith. They, you know, their, their spiritual vitality is at a high. God's moving and something happens happens and they go out. And, and it may just, and a lot of times, you know why people go out? Because things got good. Because, and I don't mean this in a bad way, sometimes we don't pray unless something's wrong. And so what happens is the fit hit the shan and we ran to church, right? And you should, by the way, you should. And we met with a pastor and we got in counseling and then all of a sudden things got good. And it's like, well, you know, we've just been doing soccer and baseball and, you know, and I'm not against soccer or baseball. My kids did things like that too. But what I'm saying is it's not even bad stuff. It just starts changing the rhythm of your life and you get tired and it's just easy to say, I'm just going to stay and watch from home. And then it's kind of like, well, I'm going to have it on while I'm eating my breakfast. And it's like, I'm going to have it on while I'm watching Sports Center. And pretty soon, like the tide of the ocean, you just... And, and here's what I want you to know, and this is what we know as pastors. It's not because they're bad people, and it's not because they don't love the Lord, and it's not because God wasn't doing something very powerful or legitimate in their life at all. It's just the way the enemy works. Another thing, let me tell you the number one reason people leave churches. They decided to get offended. I'm going to do a whole series on this one, y'all. I'm about to have me some fun with this one, y'all. Not today. Thank you, Jesus. But I'm just saying, it's, it's interesting to me. Uh, let me share one tidbit that I would put in a series if I were doing it today, and just because I'm me and I'm having fun so much right now. Um, most of the time, offense is the fruit of immaturity. I'm just going to leave you with that and explain it this way. If I'm offended and they're right, it's because I need to change. And if I'm offended and they're wrong, it's that I need to forgive them. But either way, I actually need to do something, not them. So when I have an offense and choose to remain offended, because an offense is an event, being offended is a choice, offended, being offended is the fruit of immaturity. And that's why God allows us to be offended. God bless you. So uh, anyways, <laughs> I just... I just want to say, sometimes, like I was going down the road the other day, I was thinking about this, and I said that out loud, and I thought, that is true in my life. Every time I've been offended, it was an opportunity for me to mature. Because either I needed to forgive someone, or I needed to actually listen to what they were saying, because really, it was right. So, anyway, so the enemy uses the same things he's been using forever. And he just, he gets us distracted. And so we talked about the first week, we talked about how, how he'll get our attention off of God. Just on, and it can, not even a bad thing, be a good thing. And then we talked last week about how he gets us to look at God, but to view him through certain filters. By the way, if you did not hear last week's message, because I got emails about it, go listen to it. Because apparently it was good. And every now and then when I catch lightning in a bottle, I won't let you know. That that one was actually good, right? Kind of like the lady asked me one time, Pastor, were you preaching or telling the truth? I said, I was just preaching. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Let's read this together. It says, as Paul said, I fear somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. I, I, look, he said, I, I've got this concern. You had this pure and undivided devotion, but the enemy came in and he deceived you. He did something. And by the way, you know, and I said this last week, but I had a person tell me, pastor, if I was deceived, I would know it. And I said, I don't think you understand what the word means because deceived means you, you, you don't know. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why we need our life group. That's why we need our pastors. Because sometimes when we're deceived, well, every time when we're deceived, we don't know it. We're the last one to find out. Yes. And he said, I'm, I'm concerned just as, as this cunning serpent came in and, and, and caused 
Adam and Eve's devotion, or I'm sorry, same serpent, just as he deceived Adam and Eve, he's going to come in and he's going to corrupt. He's going to, he's going to cause you to lose your focus and your devotion to Christ. So since he referenced the serpent and Eve, we want to go back to chapter three of Genesis. So let's read that together. I know you've heard this. Um, but so now the servant was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. So he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, you may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, when you eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it or, or you'll die, lest you die. By the way, some people understand that when God told Adam, don't eat the tree in the fruit, he didn't say anything about touching it. And some people make a big argument. I could deal with that, but just understand, here's what happened, my opinion. We can ask God when we get there. God told Adam what the law was. Adam had to tell Eve. And I think Adam was like, hey, listen, God was really emphatic about us not eating that fruit, so let's just not even touch it. That's what I think. So there you go. I know you're sitting around this morning wondering about that, and you know, just drinking your coffee, like, oh, I hope he gets into that whole thing. And so you're welcome. Verse 4, but the servant said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Good and evil. Um, I think because it's Mother's Day, I had a different title for the message. But I thought since it's Mother's Day, I wanted to change the title, and it kind of fit. So I called this message, Because I Said So. <laughs> because I Said So, everybody. <laughs> let's, let's pray together. God, we just thank you today for the Word of God. Don't let us miss you today. So, Lord, give us spiritual ears to hear what your Holy Spirit says and a heart to take in your truth today. Uh, in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Any mothers ever said that to a child because I said so? Any, any people in here, your mother ever told you that? You know, like I saw, told me that. I was the hard child at our house. My mom's in the service. You can ask her, but I was, I, was the, I was the one that asked all the questions and made all the arguments. I was really good at making an argument. My mom always said I needed to be a pastor or a lawyer. She wasn't sure which one because I was really good at arguing my case, you know? And so, um, but there was a lot of times out, I would get, my, unfortunately, get my mom so frustrated. Um, she would say, just because I said so, you know, just because I said so, just stop, you know, because I'd be, why, 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 you know? And uh, I remember this one time, I don't know if she remembers this, I remember one time, because how many, you know, parents, we have those phrases that are parental phrases that, that we're trying to make a point, you know, like, if everybody else, jumped off a cliff. Well, my mother went with the lay in a road. She said, if everybody else was laying in a road, would you go lay in a road with them? And without even breathing, I said, if there weren't any cars coming, it'd be great to lay in a road. <laughs> and so, <laughs> unfortunately, sometimes your greatest strength is your greatest weakness. And uh, my mind and wit is really fast. And sometimes that's really good, and sometimes that's really bad. <laughs> and so it was really bad that day. And so anyways, it's just, anyways, you know, um, but, you know, as parents, it's all those phrases. We couldn't say how many more people get arrested. You know, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill you, tell God you died, and make another one look just like you, you know. And my parents never said these things, by the way, but... <laughs> But you heard them, you know, or I'm going to slap you into next week, or I'm going to slap your face off, you know. Go ahead and slap me into next week. I'll be there without a face, apparently, and you told God I died anyway. So anyway, never mind. Anyways, none of these things were said at our house, but you know, you used to hear those things. Anyways, um, but because I said so, it's just finally like, listen, sometimes as a parent, right, as a parent, you've got years of history your kids don't have. You've already made all the mistakes and got all the bumps and bruises. And sometimes you just can't, you're just like, I wish you just, tried, because I said so. And with that is coming education you don't have, information you don't have, experiences you're not familiar with. And sometimes you just wish that was enough because I, and I thought this is how God is with us sometimes. I think God with us many times like, don't eat of that tree. Why? Because I said so. Because I made the tree. Because I know what happens. I know how this, just because I think sometimes God's like, just, I said so. And it's kind of where I, I see this because what, what, what the enemy actually says to Eve is, did God actually say? And God's like, yes, I did. I actually said it. This is what I actually, it's because I said so, don't eat the. What's interesting, I think, in, in, the, in the text, you know, when the, when the Bible talks about, and I, I talked about this just a minute, but, 
The Bible talks about the, the, the cunning ways of the serpent. Paul, when he referenced that, that phrase in the Greek actually means sophisticated trickery. Sophisticated trickery. You need to understand because it's not just, you know, in other words, there's some intentionality and some thought behind his strategy to get us away from God. In fact, I want you to think about Eve for just a minute. Adam and Eve were perfect. But what was the one thing Adam and Eve desired? And if you look, if you want to know what they desired, you have to look at how they were made. So they were made in the image of God. So what was their desire? To be like God. So what did he tell them? If you'll depart from God, you can, you can get your heart's desire. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. He actually used a good desire against them. Because all they had was good desires. They didn't have sin yet. Yes. Right? So with us, I mean, James says we're all led away from God by the own, when, when we're tempted by our own desires. So the enemy is still using desires against us. But back then, they didn't have, in, 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 in the perfection in which they were created, they didn't have evil desires. They had good desires. But look at what he did. He used their desire against them to get them to move away from God. And you think he doesn't do this today. Well, God wants me to be happy. I haven't read that in the Bible. God wants you to be holy. And holy and happy, a lot of times, are not in the same address. Right? But, but this, is, this is what I'm talking about, sophisticated. And you think if he wasn't sophisticated enough in his trickery to trip up perfect people, and you think he's not working on you? That's another thing moms did. How many have ever seen that? Like when you're coming up the driveway and you see that, you turn and go to your grandparents' house. That's right. Absolutely. You better get home right now. Um, <laughs> all of a sudden, I've got all these sound bites from my childhood. Anyways, <laughs> but think about this. You need to understand. Listen to me now. Listen, your relationship with God is either growing or it is dying, but it is not holding, holding steady. And the enemy, just like Adam and Eve, is sophisticated in his plan and strategy to move you away from God. And you need to understand, as long as you're a believer, this is going to be going on. This is why we're doing the series. Because you're going to deal with this. He's always going to be trying to turn your focus. Always going to be trying to get you to see God through the wrong filter, right? He's always going to be trying to steal and corrupt your devotion to God and to put every other things in your way. He's going to use your desires against you. I mean, all of that is what he does, which is why we're talking about it. And so when, when, you, when you look at this, you need to understand that, that today, and this we're going to zone in today, right, because I said so, I think, I think what the enemy did with Adam and Eve, he still does today. And this is what he did with Adam and Eve. He got them to move away from God, but the way he did it was caused or called into question or caused them to question God's credibility. And he did that by getting them to question two things. And that's so just two points. That's what we want to talk about today, two points. The first thing he got them to question was the word of God. Did God actually say? Well, did God actually say? Yes, God actually said. But look what he said. He, he, he pulls in to the word of God and he said, didn't God say, didn't God say you could have every, you see what I'm saying? Didn't God say he wants you to be happy? Didn't God say he wants you to be blessed? He wants you to have all the trees. Look, the fields are alive with the sound of music. And then she was like, well, there's actually... There's actually this one tree. There's actually still this. But didn't God? Look, he gets her to question. Let me say it another way. What did God mean when he said? Because that's what's really up for debate today. Because people will take the Bible and say, well, it, really mean, it doesn't really mean. That's not what that really means. That's, that's not really what God wants. Then why did he say it? Because I said so. Why did he say that? Right? But is this not what the enemy does? Like, that God didn't really mean that. That's not really, you know, this is not really a thing. Like, that doesn't really apply anymore. And man, social media, YouTube, all those, like, there is full of people with this conjecture. Like, all of a sudden, God didn't mean what he said. Or all of a sudden, I've got this new enlightened after thousands of years, I've all of a sudden figured out 
God didn't really mean what he said. He meant something else. And ironically, he meant what I wanted him to mean. Because what he previously meant, I didn't like. But now he means what I like. <laughs> Miraculous. Did God... You need to understand, the way God destroyed Adam and Eve was getting them to question the authority of his word. Think about it. Um, I, there was an article that was published, and it was actually a, a Christian man who wrote the article, scholarly Christian man, very smart. Did I mention he was a Christian man? He was a believer in Jesus Christ. Here's what he said, pretty much verbatim. He said, I think the Bible should be considered along with and alongside all great literary works such as Shakespeare. That's what I said. Huh? Raw raggy. I mean, I was like, <laughs> what, are we, what are we talking about here? Like, what? I'm sorry. But, but Shakespeare did not make the claims that the Word of God makes. Shakespeare never said the flowers will fade, the grass will wither, but my word will stand forever. Shakespeare didn't say that. Shakespeare didn't say, but the word of the Lord, right? Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of the Lord will never pass away. The writings of Shakespeare don't make the claims that the Bible makes. And we're talking about what the Bible says about the Bible. The Word of God is living and powerful and active. Shakespeare didn't say that. Sharper than any two inches there, piercing a sunder soul and spirit, dividing joint and marrow, and getting down into the thoughts and intents of the heart. Listen to me very carefully. You don't read the Bible. It reads you. No other book is like that. I mean, Shakespeare never said, hey, if you, will, if you will hearken to my word and if you will meditate on my word day and night and if you will endeavor to do everything that I have said, then will you make your way prosperous and then will you have your success. Shakespeare never said, this is how you keep your way right and pure is by hiding my word in your heart. It's not the claims of every literary work. It's either the Bible or it's garbage, but it can't be something in the middle. It's either the word of God or it's not, but it can't be conjecture. And we need to, I'm a little bit fired up. I know. Let me breathe just a minute. It's Jesus. But I'm telling you right now, there's an attack against the word of God. And we as believers, I'm not talking to the unbelievers. I'm talking to believers. As believers, you better decide. It's either all the word of God or none of it's the word of God. And you better decide right now. And you say, well, I don't understand it. Let me tell you, when you don't understand the Bible, let me help you with something. Let me tell you why you don't understand it. Because you don't understand it. But the Bible is written by a perfect God. It is an infallible book. And if you don't understand, the problem is on your side of the equation. It doesn't mean it's not true. There are things in the Bible I don't understand. But it's the Bible. It's the word of God. Let's see. The Bible doesn't contain the words of God. It is the word of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, Psalm said, hey, don't, don't listen to the, the, don't, listen to the counsel of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful, but delight yourself in the law of the God and meditate it on day and night. Then you'll be like a tree planted by the water. That's firm. You'll be planted strong and you'll produce fruit in every season. Shakespeare never wrote anything about that. He never claimed that about his writings. And so you need to understand, we live in a world where everybody's got an opinion. Let me help you about opinions. They're like armpits. Everybody's got at least two. They stink. But just because somebody has a great opinion doesn't make them right. And just because they have a YouTube channel doesn't make them an expert. And you need to understand when the Bible talks about rightly dividing the word of truth, that is not a scripture for pastors. That is a scripture for Christians. It's yes. good therapy for me. I'm just um, a great revivalist, his name is Smith Wigglesworth, incredible man of faith. 
His ministry was marked by tons and tons of miracles, things you can't explain. This is what he, he had this written in his Bible. He carried a little pocket in New Testament. He had this written in it. The Bible is the word of God, supernatural in origin, eternal in duration, inexpressible in valor, infinite in scope, regenerative in power, infallible in authority, universal in interest, personal in application, inspired in totality. Read it through, write it down, pray it in, work it out, and then pass it on. Truly, it is the word of God. It brings into man the personality of God. It changes the man until he becomes the epistle of God. It transforms his mind, changes his character, takes him on from grace to grace, and gives him an inheritance in the spirit. God comes in, dwells in, walks in, talks through, and sups with him. That's what he said about the Bible. No wonder his ministry was so powerful. He actually believed the book he was preaching from. I'm just telling you right now, this is what the enemy does. And I want you to look at 2 Timothy 3, 16, because I want to talk about this just a minute, because I'm so, can you tell I'm a little bit passionate? Is this where I need to pause and say, happy Mother's Day, and I'm not angry, and I love everybody, and Jesus is wonderful. Okay, good. That was the end of that. All right, now. 2 Corinthians 3, 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, right? In other words, for doctrine. So we get our word, our Bible, we, we get our doctrine from the Bible. We don't create a doctrine and then try to make the Bible support it. And let me help you this. The Bible always interprets the Bible. It's a great thing about it. Anything you find in the New Testament, you can find in the Old Testament. Anything in the Old Testament, you can find in the New Testament. It's concealed sometimes in the Old Testament, but it's there. It's revealed. Old Testament, New Testament, concealed. New Testament, Old Testament, revealed, right? Welcome to Bible school, right? You're like, oh, I was hoping he would take his Bible school on Mother's Day. What a glorious event. I'm working on it. All Scripture is for doctrine, for proof. In other words, Scripture tells us when, when, when we're doing something wrong, when there's something wrong. Right? If... <laughs> If your understanding of God's word agrees with everything that you've ever done and are doing, you probably don't understand God's word. Because yeah. I run into things all the time where I'm like, I don't like that. That hurt a little bit. That means I have to change something. For correction, that means it helps us do what's right, trains us how to live in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. I just want you to look at this. It's not, one verse said, all scripture is inspired by God. One says, God breathed, that's NIV, uh, given by inspiration of, the, of God. You know, these are all phrases, but it all comes down to a Greek word that's actually a combination of two Greek words, theos nustos. And it really is, in fact, NIV translated this way, God breathed. So here's, here's what the Bible says about the Bible. All of the Bible is God breathed, right? So we talk about how the Bible is the inspired word of God. Well, inspire means to breathe into right? So with the Bible, you need to understand there are 40 writers. There are one author. There is one author. Please hear that. There's one author. And what it's telling us, what Paul's telling Timothy, what it's telling us is the way we got the Bible is God breathed into. The word inspiration means to breathe in an idea. In fact, when you come, like I was talking to a friend of mine and and we're talking about speaking and I was talking about, I'd listen to someone speak and we're talking about that. And I said, they're a very smart person, but I I said, it was just so intellectual that I kind of left with, what do I do with this? Like, you know what I'm saying? I'm not sure what the application is, even though it was great, a lot of great information. And I said, you know, I just years ago started when I spoke, I'm like, I want to give some information. So a lot of times I'll give some historical data or something because people are smart and you want to engage them in their minds as a part of who we are. But I said, then I like to do a lot of inspiration, which is to breathe in them motivation and ideas and then give them application so they know what to do with it. Because if you give inspiration and you, and you don't give any application, you got people fired up, but they don't know what to do. And if you just talk about information or even application, but never inspiring by it, it's like, well, I know what to do, but I'm not really inspired to do it. So, so when we're talking about the Bible, this is what God, he inspired. That means he breathed into men these ideas. Now, I want you to understand, because we understand inspiration, then you got to back up and understand expiration. Expiration 
When we say, you know, expiration or someone passes away, they expire. That means they breathe out for the last time. Expiration means to breathe out. So if you think about it, before God could breathe it into them, he had to breathe it out of him. Now, here's why I'm making this point. Because every word from God was breathed out of him. This is what Paul is saying. And breathed into man. And what I want you to understand about that is two things. That if, if God is perfect, then what he breathed out was perfect. And what he breathed in was perfect. And what was written is perfect. And it says all. All scripture. Not the parts I like. Not the parts I agree with. Not even the parts I understand. All scripture. I, I want to show you this verse. 2 Peter 1, 21, it says, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but, but, and by the way, the context here is prophecy of scripture. In fact, I'll show you verse 20 in just a minute. So the, the verse for this, Peter says, he talks about the prophecy of scripture. So the context, no prophecy, uh, and you can say of scripture. In other words, talking about scripture. Scripture was not produced by the will of man, but, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So he's explaining, this is how we got the Bible. God breathed and the Holy Spirit worked through man. And it wasn't because man willed it. It was because God willed it. And I want you to understand, if God is perfect, his word is perfect. If all of him is perfect, every word he breathed is perfect. And we need to understand that the word of God, all of it, the totality of it is perfect, whether we like it, understand it, whatever. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because there's, listen, out in the world, and you know this, there are people who are constantly trying to discredit Parts of it. But once you discredit part of it, you question it's a slippery slope because, well, then what happens? I, I, I think this is discredit. Well, is this discredit? How do I know what's true and what's not once I say part of it's not true? And you know the real fallacy in that? Then it makes me God because I start judging the word of God and telling God what he really meant. And let me help you with something. You are not God. You are not smart enough to be God. I am not smart enough to be God. And once you go down that road of, well, I, I've decided this isn't, or I've decided, then what is? Do you see how the enemy works? He just needs, he, listen, he just needs you to question one part of God's word. Not the whole thing. Just one part of it. Because if he can get you to question one part of it, then you'll question all. Can, can I show you this? Verse 20. Guys, put 2 Timothy 1.20 up. This is the verse right before it says, knowing this, that no prophecy of scripture, remember that's what I told you, look at this, is of any private interpretation. Do you see that? Do you understand what that means? Because here's what happens in our world today. So if you go to Bible school, they're going to teach you about exegetical biblical studies, how to exegete a passage, okay? And I know you're probably not going, so just take my word for it. What exegete means is to pull the intent or the truth, in the Bible's case, to pull the intent and truth of the writer out. Who's the writer? God. He's the author. So it means to take a passage and mine out the truth, which then has to be levied against the intent and all the other writings of the author because he can't be in conflict with himself, right? Right? So I go into the Bible and I pull out the truth. And then if I get a truth that's inconsistent with any other part of the Bible, I didn't get the right truth out. Are you with me? So exegetical studies is I pull the truth out and I weigh it against the totality of scripture to decide if this is accurate, if this is really truth. Now, let me talk to you about eisegesis or eisegetical. So to eisegete, this is where I decide what I want it to say pull out a passage and put my own meaning into it and explain it that way. And this is done all the time. Like YouTube's full of it. Like I was amazed at some of the things I saw. I'm like, I can't even understand how you would think because they'll take a, a, a phrase that was written in the first century church in Greek, then interpret it into English and then apply a modern day, because have y'all noticed like certain words don't mean what they used to mean? Because I have said things before and people are like, no, pastor, you can't say that. That's not, and I'm like, what did I say? And they're like, it's bad. Oh my Lord. 
I wrote something on a dry erase board in a conference room one day. I wrote it down, and there, a lot of our younger staff are like, ah! And I was like, ah! And they're like, I don't think, Pastor, that means anymore what you think it means. And I'm like, what does it mean? They're like, we can't tell you. I erased it. How many of you know certain things don't mean what they used to mean? Because culture changes the meaning of phrases. So you can't take a phrase that culture has changed into something in the last 10 years and go back and say, well, that's what God meant 2,000 years ago. Right. Right. That, we don't let culture interpret the Bible. Amen. Are you with me? That's eisegeting a passage. That's reading into it and putting into it what I want it to say. No, remember exegete. I pull the truth out and weigh it against the totality of Scripture and say, is this true from Genesis to Revelations? So let me give you two, and I'm going to try to do this quickly. There, when it comes to the, what we call the inerrancy of Scripture, there are two things that I think that they're prevalent today. I just want to help you. One is people will argue against the Bible based on contradictions. They'll say it contradicts itself, right? And there are some places where, again, if you read it and you don't study the text and the context and the history and you don't understand a few things, it can be made to look like a contradiction. I could list several, but I just want to take one that has been used for decades. And that is, in the Bible, Matthew says Judas hanged himself. Luke says he fell headlong into a field and is, was burst open and his entrails spilled out. <laughs> what y'all having for lunch? <laughs> <clears throat> and people will say, well, this is a contradiction. And these were followers of Jesus. They were very close to Jesus. And, and they'll even say, well, you know, the Bible says Judas bought a field, but the Bible also said he threw the 30-piece silver back at the Pharisees. Well, History, number one, history actually tells us this. The Pharisees used his money to buy a field in his name. They didn't want the money back because it was dirty money. So they bought a field for Judas with his money. The history, you can find that out in history. Let me talk to, to, to Matthew and Luke for just a minute. Because Luke, Luke, in Luke, in Acts chapter 1 is where Luke talks about he fell headlong into a field and burst. Um, Matthew's a tax collector. Have you ever talked to your CPA? About your taxes, you probably did this recently, right? They're wonderful people, but when you talk to them, they, they don't walk you through. Unless you ask them, you get a stack of documents. This is the way I did. I see if you get a stack of documents. And this is what he says. This year, you have to pay in $2,200. Or this year, you get back $400, whatever it is. Because what's he doing? He's giving me the bottom line, right? Neither he nor I want to go line through line through this thing unless there's really a question or an issue or something we're trying to figure out. Are you with me? Matthew's CPA. He's like, he hung himself. Moving on. Luke is a physician. <laughs> Have you ever gotten like into, into a conversation with your dentist about a cavity? <laughs> they have spreadsheets on how you get a cavity. They have all these terms and all these things that I just thought something happened, got a cavity. You shouldn't eat sugar. So here's what I want you to explain or understand. According to the rules, now don't let me lose you on this. I'm going to go through this really quickly. According to the, the rules of logic and reasoning, but logic, the, the second law of logic says you can have two different expressions of the same event as long as one doesn't exclude the other from happening or as long as one doesn't falsify the other, Right? In other words, two people could see the same thing and come away with two different stories of the same event and they're different perspectives, but one of them doesn't mean the other one didn't happen. One of them doesn't prove the other one was false. Are you with me? Like you have a car wreck or something that happens. Somebody's like, oh man, this happened. Somebody's like, oh, this man, well, it's not that one of them wrong. One of them watched it from over there. One of them watched it from over there. Are you with me? So let me explain this real quick. So Judas went and hung himself. But if you recall, the next day was the Sabbath. That's why they, they had to take Jesus down quickly and put him in a tomb, and they had to come back later and anoint his body, right? Because they can't work on the Sabbath. You tracking with me? So he hung himself. It would technically be work for someone to cut him down. So they had to leave him up. Well, if you understand dead bodies and heat, 
then you understand that as he was hanging in the hot sun, the body cavity bloats, fills with gases, right? I don't, I know this is very, I'm trying not to be very graphic and no one's having sausage for lunch, but, um, <laughs> but it fills, fills with, you know, fills with the stuff, right? And this, any doctor can tell you this, right? And then next, once you have a body cavity that is swollen and bloated and filled with stuff, and, and it's a man because men's center of gravity is higher because men usually carry their weight here, women in other places. And I'm not getting into that on Mother's Day right there. No, not today, Satan. Uh-uh. The devil's a liar. So what happens when you've got a heavy upper torso and someone cuts the rope? Falls head first. And what happens when you have all this bloating and gases and things and it impacts something very forcefully? Yes. You know what I'm saying? There it is, right? By the way, this, I mean, in 2004, I don't remember if you guys remember this, I remember reading this. In 2004, in Thailand, a whale washed up on a beach, big whale, and they wanted to figure out why it died. So they had to go get all the equipment to move the whale with the whale sitting out in the hot sun. For several days, they finally load it up on a trailer and then strap it down. And as they are taking the well through town, it explodes all over the people. 4D experience they will never forget. You can look it up. 2004, Taiwan, I think is where it was. All right. So anyways, um, so I'm just saying, so this is not a contradiction because Matthew's just saying he went and hung himself. Luke is saying, look at the gruesome death this man died. He's a physician. He's explaining it. Are, are you with me? Okay, here, let me give you one, one more. They, they point to inconsistencies. So let me explain this. They'll, and this is one they've been used for decades. Sci scientifically, it is impossible for a man to live in the belly of a whale for three days. And since that is scientifically impossible... The word of God can't be true because it boasts something that's impossible. Now, I want you to think about the, the erroneous nature of that argument. Because the Bible is a supernatural book written by a supernatural God whose followers are instructed to do supernatural things, whose son came to earth and did supernatural things. So I want you to think about this, because if you were to ask me, do you think it's impossible for a man to live in the belly of a whale for three days? I'll tell you, absolutely it is. I've read the articles. There is no way a man can live in the belly of a whale for three days. There is also no way a man can stretch out a stick and divide the ocean for a few million people to walk over on dry land. There is also no other way a man can turn water into wine. There is no other way that a man can walk on water. And it is scientifically impossible for a virgin to conceive and bear a child. And it is scientifically impossible for a man to be killed and, and, and noted as dead and buried and three days later arise. That doesn't tell me that God's not God. That tells me we serve a powerful supernatural God. And if your God is subject to your science, I am sorry for you. Okay, I'm going to calm down. Here's the real issue, and this is what I want you to understand. Once you question the Word of God, the, the Word of God is the expression of His authority. When you question the authority of the Word, you remove yourself from the authority of God over your life, just like Adam and Eve. And when you remove yourself from the authority of God over your life, you become the author of your life. Because the root word of authority is author. And I'm just saying, who do you want writing your story? You or God? Here's the second thing. I don't have a lot of time for this one, but we're going to cover it real quick. So he got him to question God's word. But the question is, how did he get him to question God's word? Now hear me on this. It's so good. How did he get them to question God's word? He got them to question God's nature. In other words, is God really good? Because he said this, no, God, God's lying. 
He's withholding something good. He is keeping you from something good. If God were really good, he'd want you to have this other fruit. If God were really good, he wouldn't tell you not to eat this. Do you see that? And to me, this is something he still does today. Now, he may get you to question God's word. He may get you to question God's goodness. But I can tell you this. If he gets you to question God's goodness, you will question his word. And a lot of times you question his word, you start questioning his goodness. And you need to understand this is how he's working. He's working to discredit the enemy. Listen, Adam and Eve were destroyed because they questioned the goodness of God and the word of God. I want you to hear that because I want that to be, if I could emphatically state it again, listen to me. If you want to be destroyed, question his goodness or his nature and question his word. That is how the enemy works. And, and, and let me tell you, this is, this is um, so prevalent in our society because even believers will say, you know, if God was really good, pastor, I don't think that happened. And I understand I've sat with a lot of people in very painful situations. I have gone through very painful situations. And I understand there's lots of questions, but I'm telling you, the enemy shows up immediately when there's problems, yes. when there's pain, when there's hurt, when there's trauma. And he says, you know, God was really good. I don't think he'd have stopped that. He wouldn't have allowed that. He would have done something differently. What is he doing? Because if I question his nature, listen, I will not obey a God I don't trust. If I don't trust his goodness, I'll not obey his word. I want you to see this is how the enemy is still working today. And he'll say, you know what? You know what? God knows something you don't know, and he's, he's holding out on you. But you need to understand, listen to me. Grace is the foundation of faith. We are saved by grace through everything God does in our life is through faith. But what is our faith in? He is good. The moment he's not good, I can't receive good from him because I receive by believing. How do we come to repentance? It's the kindness or the goodness of God that brings us to God. How does our whole relationship, I mean, if you think about goodness or, or grace is the foundation of our relationship with God. I have to believe he's good or I don't trust him. I have to believe he's good or I won't obey him. I, I have to believe he's good or I won't do what his word says. I have to trust in the goodness of God. According to the Bible, God is good and does only good. That's what David said. Jesus said, they said, good teacher. He said, there's only one good and that is God. Um, when Moses, oh, this is so good. Can I have like one minute? <laughs> I will hurry, I promise. But when Moses is, is crying out to God, show me your glory, isn't it interesting? God responds and says, I'll let my goodness. That blows me away. Because what is your glory? If you think about it, it is the sum total. Like the glory of the baker is the mm-mm after eating the brownie. The glory of Michael Jordan was the championships, the rings, the last second shots. The glory of Tiger Woods was the putt, right? I mean, it's, it's like, what are you? Here's what, here's what Moses said. Show me your glory. And God says, you know what I'm known for? You know what I'm famous for? I'm famous for being good. Like when God's going to sum himself up, he didn't say I'm famous for being right, and he could have. I'm famous for being powerful, and he is. He said, no, no, no. You want to know what I'm famous? You want to know what I'm good at? You know what I do all the time? I am good. That's what I want you to understand about me, Moses. That's what I want you to see. I want you to see my goodness. Let, let, me, let me show you this in James. James 1.16. I'm going to give you three things about the goodness of God, and then we'll wrap it up. James 1.16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. So James is saying it's possible to be deceived. In fact, one of the ways you're deceived is by hearing God's word and not doing it. We can put that in point one, but I'll just keep moving. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Here's what you need to understand. If there is anything good in your life today, anything at all, it came from God. Whether you ever gave him credit, said thank you, or acknowledged him. If, according to the word of God, if it is a good or perfect thing, it came from him. 
If you drove over here in a car, it came from him. If you're going to go home to a house, it came from him. If today you're going to have a chocolate chip cookie, you need to know that mm -mm, at the end of it came from the cocoa plant that God spoke into existence. Praise his holy name. That's the most anointed I've felt all morning. Every good and perfect thing comes down from the father of lights. That's a reference to God as creator with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In other words, he doesn't change. Of his own will, and we could say goodwill because God does not have bad will. God only has goodwill. Of his goodwill, the good, perfect, and pleasing will of God. That's how, that's how God describes his will. Of his own goodwill, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of all of his creation. So here's what James says three, three things about God. Let me walk through these really quickly. He said, God is good, number one, because he's immutable. No variation or shadow. In other words, God is good because he can't change. Because if, if he could change, he could get worse. Let me say it like one preacher said. If he could change, he could get worser or he could get gooder. But since God can't get gooder or worser, he's unchangeable. He's good, right? He can't get better. He can't get worse. He's good. And the moment he can get better or worse, he's not good. He's not perfect. Are you with me? And so what, what James said is it doesn't matter what life looks like. God's good, period. God's good, period. Second thing he says, God is good because he is benevolent. Let me say it another way. God gives good. Every good and perfect gift. God only gives good. God doesn't give sickness and disease. God doesn't give tragedy. God gives good. God is a good gift giver. He is good at giving, and he is good at giving good. Here's the last thing. God is good because he is salvation. That's what he said. Remember, we just read it, but it's verse 18 of his own good will. He brought us forth by the word of truth. Here's what he's saying. If, if I want to know whether or not God is good, I don't need to look past the cross. On the debate and argument of God's goodness, just go to the cross and stay there. Don't go past it. Just stay right there. If I need to know if God is good, what was God willing to do to save me? What was God willing to do to redeem me? If I want to see the goodness of God, it's always in the face of Jesus. And if I want to see the goodness of God, it's always at the cross. Now, let me tell you the problem and the mistake, and here's what happens. In life, life happens. I get it. It's happened to me. It's happened to you. And when life happens, the enemy, like Adam and Eve, will come to us, and he will show us life and try to get us to start with the brokenness of man and try to work towards the goodness of God. Right? If God's really good, why were those people hurt or harmed? If God is really good, why are those children starving? I just want to remind you that when God had complete control of the, prob- the planet, we didn't have those problems. In fact, when Adam and Eve were, were in perfect unity with God, we didn't have those problems. Creation, in fact, creation leading up to the fall, God saw everything he created and he saw something of him in everything he created because he looked at everything he created and said, and he saw that it was. So, so when people look at the brokenness of humanity and then try to ask the question, is God good? You need to understand the reasoning is backwards. Because, you know, I've even had, is this the best God can do? No, it's not the best God can do. No, no. This is the best man has done. Because yeah. we all want to be free will, free will moral agents until someone's morality and free will hurts us. Because not everyone has the same standard of morality and not everyone believes the right things and not everyone has a problem hurting people. But you need to understand God made us his free will moral agents and and God put us in charge of a planet. And because broken people are in charge of a planet, it gets more and more broken. Think about this. Up until Genesis 3, there was no strife. There was no sickness. There was no disease. There were no problems. There were no fights. There were no disagreements. There was no racism. There was no hatred. But Genesis 3 happens and immediately there's a marital conflict because Adam's like, she said she did. It's her fault. And not long after that, you have the first murder, and then it goes pretty steep downhill from there. 
What happened? It's man's brokenness. And you need to understand, you can't start at the brokenness of humanity to try to find the goodness of God. You have to set yourself and settle and be planted that God is good regardless of anything that I see. God is good no matter what I'm going through. In fact, God said this. He said, he'll work all things together for your good. That means and implies that there's bad. Because if it was good, you don't have to work it towards good. So God says, this is what he's saying. I'm good, and I'm so good that when bad happens, if you'll let me get involved, I'll get some good out of your bad. Like, I may not stop all the bad because people get to choose, and people get to do things, and people make decisions and choices, and I'm so sorry, but here's my promise. When bad happens, bring it to me, and I'll get something good out of When you're left with ashes, bring them to me, and I'll get some beauty out of that's how good he is that no matter what we go through and how bad it is the goodness of God will show up and be seen if we'll trust that he is good I haven't preached this hard in a long time it's the best cardio you can get I just want you to understand listen to me listen I, I can't make you Believe God. You have to choose to trust him. I can't make you believe the word of God. You have to choose to believe it and trust it. And I can't make you trust in the goodness of God. All of those things are by faith alone. But if we can keep our faith set on, God is good and his word is perfect. I'm telling you, God can do amazing things in our life. And I'll tell you this, it will not only uncover the schemes of the enemy, but it will protect us from the schemes of the enemy. Amen? God's up there today, and you know what he's saying to some of us? Because I said so. Just trust me, because I said so. Just obey, because I said so. Just believe, because I said so. Just hold on, because I said so. Amen. Can you give God one more praise today? You can stand. And I'm going to ask our prayer team to come. And uh, we want to pray for anyone who needs prayer today, for anything, by the way. And it could be, I need encouragement, or I need God to do something, or, or I'm just, you know, whatever. I'm at my health in my body. I don't know. And restoration, it doesn't matter. We just want to pray. Also, if you're in this room or you're watching online and you need a relationship with Jesus, meaning that, you know, as you sat here and, and we kind of talked about some things, maybe there's a point where like, you know, I, I need to be forgiven or I need, I really need a relationship with Jesus. I, I don't want to just be a religious person. I, I really want to know the Lord. I want a relationship with the Lord. I want my sin to be forgiven. I want to be without shame, without guilt and in a life-giving, growing relationship with Jesus. If that's you, we want to pray for you. And so you can just come when everybody else comes. I'm not going to single you out, but I want you to come. If you're online, you can text my pathway prayer to 94,000, and we'll pray with you virtually. Um, but I just want anyone who needs prayer or they need a relationship with Jesus to make sure you come today. Um, let me just pray for us. And in praying, I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit if there's anything we need to do with the word we just heard. And, uh, and if he speaks something to you, I would say, that's just God. Trust it, you know. And so, God, I just thank you so much for your word today. I thank you for the truth of it. I thank you today most of all, God, too, that you're a good God. In fact, that's why we have the word, because you're good. And so, God, I just pray um, today, God, that, that where, our, where we're at today for every person watching today, every person in this room today, God, show us if there are places in our life where, where we are questioning one of these things if we're questioning the word of God, maybe if we've turned from the word of God in an area of our life, or, or maybe if we're questioning just your goodness, but maybe it's because of something we went through. But God, today, call us back to you. Lord, don't let, our, let, don't let our devotion be divided. Don't let our focus be divided. Lord, we see your goodness in Jesus. 
And so, God, I just pray for every person. Lord, if there's anyone in this room, God, right now where we need to make an adjustment, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Help us to hear you so we can follow you in truth and trust in your goodness. God, I pray today if people need to come to a relationship in you, God, with you, I pray you, they would, you would draw them to you. And God, again, I pray for all of our moms. God, that today would be a day filled with love and peace and hope and good things. God, we thank you again that you're good. We thank you again for your word. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Man, it has been so great. Yeah, you can give Jesus one more praise. It's been so great it, it, it to be with you today. Happy Mother's Day. If you need prayer, please come. We'd love to pray with you. If not, God bless you. Have a wonderful day. We will see you next weekend.